0: The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We are talking about the Green Bay Packers. Very weird, very drunk win over the Cincinnati Bengals. Why wouldn't ugly matter sometimes? We're going to do star ratings as well. Then we will talk about the Milwaukee Brewers in search of some offense. We will do a little rapid fire for the state of wisconsin talk some badgers talk some bucks at the very end so we have a loaded show we will not waste any more time but before we jump into the packers make sure you're rating you're reviewing you're subscribing make sure you're telling a friend make sure you're following us on social media tapping the keg on twitter tapping the keg sports on instagram TikTok. Facebook, that was the last one. I knew I had one more. And, you know, checking out the blog every now and again. We're not writing as much. We're usually just posting what we have on social as well as the podcast. But still, we appreciate the support as always. All right, let's dive right into the Green Bay Packers now. The Green Bay Packers did not have their best game of the season. I would honestly, if we had to rank the Packer games so far this year the Cincinnati game would be on the list with New Orleans. Now, New Orleans is dead last. It will be dead last for the entire year unless the Packers get shit pumped again by somebody. But Cincinnati was not fun. I did not have a good time watching the Packers against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, you can ask yourself a ton of questions on how or why was this game ugly? Why was this game so drunk with the missed field goals, everything else? I guess the one thing I will say is when you're not full strength, ugliness can happen. Ugliness can be a thing. You can see some ugly football just because you don't have all your parts. You don't have all of your equipment to be this top flight football team. So that to me is one of the things that I could see from this game and maybe going forward is that The Green Bay Packers are not going to look like the sharpest tool in the shed, not necessarily because they're unprepared, no, but because they are dealing with a ton of injuries and it takes a while for everybody to gel. It takes a while for everybody to come together. Now, Green Bay is getting a little more healthy. David Bakhtiari will come off the pup next next week and he can start practicing next Wednesday. I doubt he'll be back for Washington, I would imagine Green Bay will get him ready for that big Arizona Thursday night game that Green Bay has in week eight. So that to me feels like the Bakhtiari start. I would be surprised if it's Washington, but you never know with offensive linemen. Hopefully Josh Myers is back from injury. It sounded like Elton Jenkins was close. Uh, Jair Alexander is on the three-week IR as of now, so he will miss that Arizona game, right? I don't know, actually, I don't know. He could be back for the Arizona game. I'd be really surprised if he was back for that Arizona game. It could be a lot longer for the Packer corner, but they will get guys slowly and surely. You just have to hope that nobody had any sort of nicks and bruises from this one. From what I saw in the game there wasn't anything that was like wow that guy got hurt or something like that but you never know um, you know after day one day or two days all of a sudden like something they were playing through it's like oh shit Devonte Adams has a hamstring injury not saying he does but you get my point right So Green Bay is probably going to win ugly for a little while now. I, I just think that's what we should come to expect with the fact that with all those injuries. And what's nice is the Green Bay Packers have the defense to maybe win a little bit ugly. I that's crazy. That's crazy to say. Um but I'm not really worried about any sort of after effects of this game. I don't think that Mason Crosby is going to be affected. I don't think this is going to be in his head. Obviously if he struggles against Chicago, we'll have a serious conversation. But I don't think this is going to be something that lives in Mason's brain. Although I do think once he steps up to the field against Chicago on next Sunday, we'll take some deep breaths. But winning ugly sometimes involves not having the greatest kicking game and not being 100%. But as I was mentioning, the defense is something to at least get excited about. I'm gonna say it. The defense is, I wouldn't say legit, but they're good they're they're good defense and they're really sort of solid with all things considered if you take away that bullshit throw that joe burrow made at the end of the first half which almost got picked off by darnell savage the agreement packers allowed 14 points that's really good against the cincinnati offense that has been humming for the first few weeks of the season and they're doing this without Jair Alexander and Darius Smith. I think we all worried about what Joe Burrow could do without having Jair Alexander out there. Sure, Jamar Chase got his, but we didn't see much from Tyler Boyd or T. Higgins or CJ Uzma. Like none of those guys really stepped up to the plate. So G- Joe Barry deserves a ton of credit for that. Joe Barry deserves a lot of praise here after the way his defense played and he should be proud and his defense has been playing good for the last couple of weeks i i think the san francisco game it was uneven but I, even then that, that had some moments i think the, the penalties were a bigger deal and that was probably part of the reason why you saw some struggles from that packer defense but they're good man i think they really have something here and it's really exciting i think they just have Enough parts, right? We just talked about not having all your tools in the shed, and and they can't they can ill afford many more injuries, but they are able to make it work, and they've done well in the draft, and they've done well in different situations to get guys in. Devondre Campbell has been a revelation. I thought T.J. Slayton played really well. You had Kensley Kike lining up a little bit outside, so that was potentially a new wrinkle. Chris Barnes made his his presence felt. He had some big hits on Joe Burrow. Thought Darnell Savage did all right in the run game. Like Green Bay has the dudes to play, have a good defense. I think we all knew this last year with Mike Patton. I think that's what frustrated so many with Mike Patton is they saw this defense, they saw the opportunity. This defense could bring to the Green Bay Packers. They knew what the offense had, and they're like, the defense has way too many studs to be mediocre. And I think Joe Barry is getting the most out of these guys. So I really like what I've seen from this defense, and I think that is something you can take away from this in the positive. The pass rush was awesome against Joe Burrow. I said in the like over the week i was like you gotta get joe burrow frustrated and he f- for sure was and it made it very hard on him to sort of push the ball forward and that that has to get you excited you have to be feeling good about what green bay has defensively right now after a cluster in week one and half of a fuck against detroit the green bay packers have really brought it defensively ever since Matt LaFleur is like, Hey, bring a little more pressure. And I think what that was, and I, and I I, think that's worth going back to, it's worth revisiting. Not many people will talk about that, but what I think that really was, was Matt LaFleur telling Joe Barry, Hey, let your fucking nuts hang a little bit. Trust these guys. I'm telling you, I've been around these dudes for two years. I can tell you, you can trust these dudes. You can trust these guys to make plays and get you what you need. And that is exactly, that is exactly what this defense can do. And I don't know if they'll get a ton of credit. I don't know if that's what people will take away from this game. I think a lot of people will talk about Devontae Adams and we will here in a second. But I think what you should be talking about is this defense. They deserve a ton of love for how they played against Joe Burrow without Alexander and Smith. Offensively, I thought they had some nice moments here and there, you had the big Devontae Adams play, you had the big Aaron Jones run, but it felt like they were a step off today for whatever reason. Rodgers started off slow, I don't think that was why they were a step off, but he just did not seem entirely there, and we'll, we'll mention him a little bit in star ratings, but the Packers failed to get it in the end zone a couple times, when they were close in the red zone. And now Cincinnati does pride themselves on the red zone defense. And I really hope actually the Packers take some of that from their defense as that's one, their one weak spot right now is the red zone defense. Uh, but it felt more like a McCarthy game than a Matt LaFleur game with some of the conservative play calling. I thought there wasn't that much innovation. I I thought this was a bizarre game from Lafleur. I don't think he was able to figure out the Cincinnati defense. I'm not saying Cincinnati got a playbook against the Packers because I don't think any sort of playbook or blueprint against Green Bay would have the opposing wide receiver getting 100 and, or 200, excuse me, plus yards. I, I don't think that's part of a blueprint. But I do think this offense needs to kind of figure out some shit. Mark Valdez, Scantling's loss is apparent. It's definitely something that is affecting how Green Bay's running their offense and also the disappearance of Bob Tanyan. Now, everybody and their mother, all the fantasy fuck boys said, hey, Robert Tanyan's gonna regress. And I'm like, fuck that. No, he isn't. He's really good. He makes plays, all this other stuff. And guess what? He's kind of regressed a little bit. He's definitely not a, a tight end one like he was last year. Now Rodgers can say all he wants in the media about how he wants to get Tony involved. I think the broadcast talked about that, but you got to show it, man. Like you got to do some things. Like where did that tight end screen go? They did that against Detroit. I think they actually did it against San Francisco too. Like bring that back. Like that tight end screen's great. Like I don't know, they actually ran it. Excuse me. I'm like, where's that tight end screen? They did it with Mercedes Lewis, which, fine. Like, and it, it was it went for a big play. It was a big gainer. I think it was 30-some yards. But do that with Tunyon, man. Tunyon can run that ball. And I look at what Dawson Knox is doing for Buffalo, and it seems like him and Tunyon have sort of switched sides, right? Like, Tun- Tunyon was having the year that Knox was last season. And maybe that's just, there's not a lot of scouted looks against him and that's how he's getting open. And I think there's a little bit of a book on Bobby Tunyon and he needs he needs to get creative. And I don't know if that's just him. I don't know if that's LaFleur, but there needs to be more. Also, Alan Lazard's kind of dropping the bag right now. Alan Lazard is up for a contract next year. Alan Lazard does not look like a guy who's getting three years, 30 million from some shit team. Like he's not, it looks like the Jaguars are not giving him that, right? Like Alan Lazard needs to do a lot more out there. He's a great blocker. He does what is asked of him, but he's not freeing himself. He's not getting himself open. So similarly to Tunyon, the book is kind of out on Lazard and he needs to make adjustments. He needs to find ways to make his presence felt because him and Tunyon are not doing that. And I think it's hindering the offense. And maybe that's part of the reason why we feel like this offense is a step off. Let's get to star ratings. We, I'm sure, will talk about the special teams. That's coming a little bit later. That's definitely not making the five stars. If you're unfamiliar with star ratings, what it is is we rank from five stars being the best, one star being the worst, through all the different players and moments that happen in the Packer game. So let's kick it off with the five stars. Five stars for the packer bengal game. Devontae Adams, obviously, and Devondre Campbell. So let's start with Adams. Adams went 11 catches, 206 yards, one touchdown. It's a pretty good line for the best receiver in football. Woozie uh, had kind of had Adams early on, but then Adams wore him down. Woozie had, had to get checked for a concussion. The Packers took full advantage of that. Really good stuff from Devonte Adams in this one. He played great he was shot out of a cannon. This, I think, was the first real good Devontae Adams game. People say all the time, you know, those first four weeks of the season can be like preseason now because nobody plays in August and then you're just getting your feet wet. That's kind of how it felt like with Devontae Adams in week five. Like, it felt like his breakout game of the season... I don't know if I would call this the Devontae Adams game. I would just call this the drunk game, right? With how how many missed field goals there were. But Devontae Adams was the star of this one, without question. He torched Cincinnati, and you have to be scared if you're Chicago, Washington, or Arizona in the next few weeks, because Devontae Adams is going to ball out against all of them. I don't look at any corner right now, and I'm like, he could lock up Devontae. Maybe Tredavious White, of the Buffalo Bills, but that would be the only guy on the top of my list that I could say, "All right, he's going to cook Adams or Adams and him are going to going to war because everybody else, I think, is better. Adams is better than them." As for Devond- Devondre Campbell, guy keeps making plays for his team. He had the huge interception in overtime that really should have won the Green Bay Packers the game. Like that game should have been over. They should have went down, scored a touchdown, and won the fucking game and not tried to settle for a field goal. Again, we'll get to Matt LaFleur um, when we get down the list in the star ratings. Um, but he deserves all the credit he's getting thus far. The Packers lacked this linebacker for a long, long time. And I think it's part of the reason why Joe Barry's scheme is working so well is because Campbell is paroling it. Now, some people will say, the haters and the losers, who are, who are like, well, Green Bay should have had this linebacker years ago. Where has this guy been? Look, the green, this system, this system specifically for Joe Barry, is designed to have a rangy linebacker. That is the Vic Fangio defense in a nutshell. They want to have that rangy linebacker, and Campbell is that. And that is why it is important to Green Bay's defense and why Green Bay has been so successful thus far defensively. So for those who are like, well, Green Bay should have had this linebacker years ago, I don't know if Devondre Campbell is making the same impact with Mike Patton. I don't know if he's making the same impact with Dom Capers. So I kind of miss me with that. Like, I really don't think that's a great take. Like, I think that's actually a lazy take because the whole reason Campbell is good is because this is what Barry wants. Barry wanted this in his system and they found the right guy. If anything, we should be crediting Brian Gunekust for finding that guy that fit joe barry system so it's a good job by bg a four star i am going to give one to aaron Rodgers and kevin king yeah kevin king uh i will say this quickly on Rodgers. i know i mentioned that he didn't have the best moments he looked a little off at times he just needs to be a little more trustworthy and dudes not named devonce adams there wasn't enough to find tanyan cobb lazard i know we talked about tanyan and and lazard already but he needs to do a little bit more with guys that are not Devontae. That's gonna come back to bite him in the ass at some point. I hope that he's not kind of zeroing in. It feels a lot like some of those Jordy Nelson years where all he did was look to Jordy and just ignored everybody else. I hope that's not the path we're going down here. I, I'd like to think it isn't, um, but Rogers just needs to get more comfortable with the other dudes on his roster and how he does that. I think is a conversation for Matt LaFleur, Paul or Paul Hackett, that's it that. Nathaniel Hackett uh, and Rodgers. And they just need to have that conversation. They need to have it out on what is going to make Green Bay a more cohesive unit. That to me is going to help the Packers in the long run. So let's hope that LaFleur, Hackett and everybody else can come together and make it happen because that's needed for Green Bay. As they move forward. And when once MVS comes back, maybe it's a little dif- bit different. I don't know. So yeah, I did mention Kevin King as a four-star. I said it. Kevin King, I, I thought this was a really good game for Kevin King. Kevin King was on T. Higgins a lot. Uh, Stokes, Drew, Drew Jamar Chase. I don't think it was an, a shadow per se. Like I don't think they had him shadowed. But I do think that Kevin King was sort of the guy on t higgins and tyler boyd like i think those were the dudes he was facing off against like i and he did well boyd and higgins were both kind of ghosts today like they did not do much like i think i see more ghosts at shakers cigar bar than i saw with t higgins or tyler boyd all right, man. That's a bad comparison. That doesn't work. <laughs> I'm trying to think. how I would say that they they were ghosts, like they were at Shakers, uh, Cigar Bar, something like that. Maybe I was there on Saturday. Shout out. Didn't get sick because um, I only had one cigar, and it was a small cigar. So you learn your lessons. I don't know if I told that story, but one night this summer, I did wing cigar and ice cream drink, and I ever felt sicker in my life the next day i was it was bad it was really really fucking bad way too much nicotine for your boy but that another story another time so yeah kevin king played well and this was a really good game for kevin king and i don't know if the stokes play has motivated him where he sees his starting spot going away and knows he needs to step up and knows he needs to take his game to another level sometimes competition breeds greatness out of people and having that fire under ass could be a good thing. We'll see if this continues for Kevin King. He's not going to get tested quarterback-wise for a couple weeks until they get to Kyler Murray, so we'll see what that, what that brings because that it will be a real test for the Packer corner. But yeah, he had a good game. He deserves the credit. Three stars. I'm going to give it to Adrian Amos. I thought his first half sucked. Like, I really didn't think he played well in the first half. He had, I think he allowed a touchdown um, at one play. He had a few bad, bad errors early on. And then as the game went on, he, he kind of kept getting better. Uh, he had that great interception on Burrow in the second half. He led the team in tackles. I just need a little bit more from Amos in the start. We can't have slow starts from him when Jair Alexander is out with an injury. Offensive line, they're held together by sticks, so I'm not trying to shit on them, but it wasn't their best effort. Uh, It's probably the worst the Lions played all year. They're also down three starters, so I have to at least mention that. And so I'm not ready to freak out about it, but I will say the Bears defense has played well this season. And if you're down three offensive linemen against that, run seven now Akeem Hicks didn't play last or this Sunday so maybe you won't have Hicks but that could be a real scary situation for Green Bay so let's hope that they can figure it out with their offensive line and you can at least get Jenkins back getting Myers back too would be the cherry on top two stars I will give that to Mason Crosby so yes Mason Crosby won the game so that's why he doesn't get the one star he gets the two star um, it was a heartbreak day for Mason. He missed three field goals. It, I'm glad he didn't miss a fourth. He also missed an extra point, so I guess you could say he did miss four. but yeah, it was it was really ugly for him and he has to be better and hopefully it was just the turf. Um, that was speculated by Murph in a group chat that today like I, and I could see that, right? It could have just been a weird day and a weird, weird footing, whatever. I'm not too concerned about Mason Crosby. He made the field goal when it mattered. I can't believe he was able to kick a fourth field goal. Matt LaFleur trusts his guys way more than I think any of us do. I don't think anyone watching that game was like, yeah, you should kick the ball. Not even someone who has a Mason Crosby jersey, okay? Like seriously, I don't think anyone was saying Mason Crosby kicked this football and he did and he made it so credit to him but man oh man that was one that I was really surprised by lastly our one star is Matt LaFleur I thought this was one of the worst games Matt LaFleur has called as a coach I thought there was not enough innovation as mentioned earlier in the show I thought some of the goal line stuff was really weird. He had one where it was two runs to A.J. Dillon for one yard and then an incomplete pass. Like, that just can't happen, man. And I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know if it was their defensive scheme. I don't know if it was, he didn't really think he had it from Aaron Rodgers. I have zero clue. But it was really terrible stuff for Matt LaFleur today. And the chicken shit sort of decision in overtime to just run the ball a couple times and give it for Mason Crosby. Couldn't have been worse. And I would have hated that even if Mason Crosby had had a great day. Set yourself up for fucking success, Matt, okay? Like put yourself in a position to win the game. And I think sometimes, and we talked about this on the show a few times last season about how he gets tight in these tight situations. Like he does not always deal with pressure the best. And I mentioned this after the Tampa Bay game. I mentioned this in a couple other scenarios. He got a little tight there. And all he needed to do was trust Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams had 200 fucking yards, like push the ball down the field and win the game. Just win the game with six. You didn't need to get tight and try a field goal from like 40 out. That's not putting yourself in a position to win. So hopefully Matt LaFleur watches some tape here and realizes there were a lot of things I did wrong in this game. So I'm not souring on LaFleur. Coaches are allowed to have bad games here and there, but it was just not what we needed today. That did not help this game from being being tight. I thought a lot of it was bad play calling from the head coach. Moving on to baseball, the Milwaukee Brewers are one-one with the Atlanta Braves, and they need some offense. Now, the third game will be happening this afternoon. This goes up uh, late Sunday, early Monday, so it'll be going up Monday afternoon is when the Brewers will be playing. Assuming that the White Sox held on to their game, if not, it'll be bumped to three o'clock. Brewers need to find some more offense. It is not going to be pretty if this offense continues to sputter as they have in the first two games. Milwaukee was very lucky to win game one and they got it done from great pitching and a very timely hit from Rowdy Tellez. Now hopefully Atlanta being an open air stadium, being a stadium where the ball can fly if the weather is right, maybe that sparks the Brewers bats and kind of gets them going. And also too being the road team, maybe it takes a little pressure off them. You could argue that the Brewers playing in front of fans for the first time in two years might have tightened them up a little bit. It might have had had one of those effects. Cause you think about all those guys, not a ton of them have postseason experience. Colton Long definitely does. Yelich has been there before. Obviously I mean I guess if I'm starting to list these names, I'm like, yeah, I think Garcia played with the Tigers. Um no probably not though, right? Because he was with the Tigers when they were they I'd have to look at that. But regardless, you could sense the Brewers were just a touch tight offensively at home so maybe going on the road will loosen the things up i could even argue the early start might help some things because even though it's weird with the body clock the the body clock should be all right you've played three o'clock games the last two two games you've played now this will be a one o'clock game you have no shadows to worry about you should be able to mash if the if it's humid out there I, and the crowd I don't know will be that good Like we saw great crowds in Boston and Chicago But that had something to do with it being a Sunday afternoon and a Sunday night Like those White Sox fans watched the Bears game at their local bars And then went to Guarantee Rate Field for the 7 o'clock night game They were fired the fuck up And for the Red Sox it was, it was the same thing They watched the Patriots and then they, they went to Fenway It was a great Fenway crowd too And I don't think you're getting that with Atlanta. And that's a a disadvantage to the Braves. That's a check against the Braves. Now, do I think baseball needs to get away from the four games on Monday? Absolutely. I don't understand why baseball continues to do this. Look, I understand you don't want to go up directly against football. I fully get that. That said, you can get creative with it, all right? You can figure out ways to how do we make an impact without sort of disrupting everything. Now, the Bills Chiefs are in a weather delay. Well, they were in a weather delay. They're playing in the third quarter right now. But think about this for a second. What if you would have done something today, excusing the fact that the Dodgers and Giants played yesterday, but what if you did something today where you basically had baseball starting, let's say two o'clock, And then you went until 9.30. Like the last game was at 9.30. You're telling me people who've watched football all day wouldn't want to wrap their day up with baseball? Of course they would. Right? I just think the four games on a Monday, even though it's Columbus Day or Indigenous People Day, however you want to describe it. It's not a day that I think you're going to have a lot of people with off. I think a lot of people would like to have it off, but I don't think you're going to have a lot of it. So... I'm not a huge fan of the one o'clock start. I'm fine with the four o'clock starts. I get it, right? You can't, you don't want to have games at seven and nine 30. I would probably prefer more of a five 30 nine o'clock start, but I get wanting to kind of get the Dodgers some West Coast or East Coast love, I should say, and making sure that the nine o'clock people stick around at least for the early part of Dodgers and Giants. But it's my own personal critique. I just hope baseball kind of gets rid of that four-day Monday playoff. You could do it a lot better. I even think if you did it Thursday, Saturday, with, and I know college football can be an issue, but I think less people care about college football than they do the NFL in some parts of the country. But if you think about where all the series are, the only one where that might impact you is Atlanta, right, with the Georgia Bulldogs and any, and anybody else. But And I'm sure there's a variety of SEC Fans that are in Atlanta, but other than that, are you really going to be impacted? Houston, no. Chicago, nah. Boston, no way. San Francisco, absolutely not. Tampa, no. Like, I just think actually you'd have a real opportunity uh, to do in Milwaukee. Same. Like, yeah, there'd be a crossover with Badger fans and Brewer fans. But still, I think you could you could make it work. So baseball is a long way to go on that. But that's that was a tangent from uh, talking about the Brewers. I just don't like the noon start. I'm mad about it. it sucks. We're going to be all working while watching the Brewers. The producti- productivity won't be great. And I, I don't think the day job will appreciate that. But fuck it. It is what it is. So as for the two games, I mean, we talked a little bit about to Les, the electricity of that. The Brewers were very lucky in that one. I'm not going to lie to you. Like That first inning was terrible for Corbin Burns. He was walking dudes. to Telez again made a great play in the first. Set the tone. And then Josh Hader put some guys on. And then then shut the door. And I swear to you I thought Orlando RC was going to have a moment. I'm very glad that he did not. Because that would have been a disaster. So good for Hader. Glad they got it done. As for Saturday. Man. They had so many opportunities. I, I think the one good thing you could take away is they were actually putting runners on. They didn't do that on Friday. They runners were actually on base. They just weren't on. Were unable to get that big hit, which is a true bummer. I have zero idea why Luke Molly uh, went came to the plate in the ninth inning. He did not deserve that. That should not have been... I deserve it. He should not have been there. I First of all, Luke Molly shouldn't be on the fucking team right now. But since he's here, he should really be used in only emergency situations. If anything, Manny Pena should have stayed in the game if the plan was to go with Pina all game and not even let Navarez sniff the baseball. Like, no Omar Nervais there seemed like a gross mistake. Like, it was just a bad mistake by Craig Council. So as for today, which most of you will probably be listening maybe while you're watching the game or as you're re- getting ready for the game, Freddie Peralta, Ian Anderson. You need a good first first inning from Freddie Peralta. We talked about this uh, on the podcast with Mitch. Freddie has really struggled in that first inning. It's very important that he does not let the Braves jump all over him. I think it would be nice if he could play with the lead, play with a little confidence. But yeah, Freddie needs to just keep his composure, just do what he's been doing all year and not give up a big fly in the first inning. Ian Anderson has been very good against the Brewers in his career. The sample size is very small, but the Brewers are batting 0-48 against him. There's one hit out of 16 at-bats against Anderson. He did have a good start against them earlier this year. Hopefully the Brewers can find something against Ian or at least make it difficult for him make you know work the counts get guys on base like let's let's do some other shit there with ian anderson hopefully that will happen and hopefully we're talking about the brewers up to one on tuesday's podcast all right wrapping up the show with a little bit of rapid fire it's not even really rapid fire because we'll probably talk about both uh the wisconsin badgers looked really good on saturday a dominating defensive outing all around, 24 to nothing. It's hard to shut out teams. I understand that the Illinois Fighting and Illini are not a good team, right? But there were a lot of people that thought the Badgers could lose outright. There were a lot of people that thought the Illinois Fighting and Illini were going to cover. They did not sniff a cover. I said, you should stay away from the Badgers. In retrospect, when everybody was kind of on that Illinois, that that was everybody's, Big underdog bet. I should have went to the Badgers, but I'm a bad gambler. So that's that's here and are there. But yeah, they looked really good. Um, a dominating defensive effort. I, I think I've already said that, but still, it's it bears repeating. It was really impressive to see this defense kind of hit their peak so far this season. A very good one from there. On the ground, the Badgers were great. Chesma Lucy, Braylon Allen combined for 259 yards on the ground. That is just pounding the football. Graham Mertz only threw for 100 yards. I think that is Badger football in a nutshell. That's what Wisconsin wants to do. They had a great one-two punch with Malusi and, and, and Allen. And look, you can see this happen from time to time with the Badgers. Is Sometimes they're at their best when there's not one guy. Yes, Jonathan Taylor has been the dude. Melvin Gordon has been the dude. But remember those teams with Gordon in his at the first part of his career where it was Gordon, James White, Monte Ball. Like that was a awesome combination of dudes. And I really, really think that that could be the key to Wisconsin moving forward. Malusi and, and Allen were something in this game. And Braylon Allen is a monster. He is such a big dude. He gives you a little bit of Ron Dane vibes. Now, he is a strong motherfucker. He is a lot bigger than Ron Dane, but you just get the sense that this guy can just bulldoze everybody. Little A.J. Dillon too, if I'm being honest. But very good stuff from those two guys. A couple of the negatives, they got to clean up the turnovers, man. Uh, Mertz had an interception on the 40. Um, Allen had a fumble uh, as as the Badgers were going in. They just can't have that against good teams. Now, play Army next week. Army is a good team, even though the Badgers are favored again by double digits. Army is a team that can keep you, keep you guessing, fight with you to the whistle. Remember, they took Michigan down to the wire years ago when Michigan was highly ranked. Now, I don't think that Michigan team amounted to anything. But Army is not afraid to get in the mud with you. So they're going to have to clean it up turnover-wise if they want to keep winning football games. You just can't have that. Jalen Berger gets dismissed from the team. We don't know what that's about. There has been no sort of words on what happened there, but Berger did not play against Illinois. Um, And when Berger didn't play against Penn State, I kind of thought, well, this is it for him. And it wasn't. And then after Illinois not getting any snaps, that was it. So who knows what happened there. I, that's a really big loss for, for Wisconsin. Losing Jalen Berger, I, I realize Braylon Allen's good. I realize Malusi's good. I realize you can go in the transfer portal and get guys. That is yet another running back the Badgers have lo- lost this year. They need to develop some consistency at that position. When Wisconsin is at their best, they have running backs there for multiple years who, who know the system and can be borderline Heismans. Losing Berger is a big loss for for Wisconsin, but I hope I would know. I would assume there's reason why he's not on the team. I could see if, as long as it's not super serious, like nothing real bad, you know, Berger should have an impact somewhere else in the Power Five. Lastly, I didn't watch a ton of the Bucks, but I did tune in a little bit to some preseason because all the starters played. They were fucking awesome today. They put up 90 very quickly. They were a force. We talked about that defense of the Badger being dominant. The Bucks were dominant in their, their offense and defense today. Really good stuff from Milwaukee. They were a wagon, and it, you just love to see it. You just love to see it out of the Bucks. And I love the starting lineup of Holiday, Allen, Brooke Lopez. Chris Middleton, Giannis onto the kumbo. And Mamu had another nice day. I think the Mamu hype train is going. The Jordan-Nora hype train is going. I did have 15 shot, 15 points on 14 shots, but Jordan-Nora is going to shoot. And But his line was nice, though. I mean, 15, 8, and eight and 3, that's not terrible for Nora. Now, 15 on 14 shots isn't great. But whatever, man, that's that's all right. We'll, we'll take that. It's not a uh, minus 27 like our guy uh, Mamadou uh, was or Poku had a minus 20 in this one. But yeah, love it from the Bucks, man. Feeling good, feeling good. This was definitely one of those things that gives you a little bit of confidence uh, heading in to the regular season. That looks like, okay, maybe this Bucks team can be a wagon to start the regular season. Uh, and it won't take them a ton of time to get acclimated to the regular season the bucks for the preseason have only a couple left they play utah on wednesday in an altitude game it'd be nice for the bucks just to figure out how to how to actually play in utah and then on friday they're home against dallas i don't think that's the mac fun game they used to do a mac fun game for preseason i'm not sure if they're still doing that but if they are that would be the mac fun game and then we get ready for the regular season to start oh baby so that will be Tuesday the 19th against the Brooklyn Nets the ring game if the Brewers were to advance that would be game three of the NLCS and then they go to Miami right away it's PJ Tucker reunion time so we'll get into that San Antonio Indiana. So they go right on the road for a bunch of games early on, it, which is interesting. Disrespectful, I think, to the champs, if, if you were being honest. Mitch and I will have an NBA preview sometime in the nap before that Tuesday. We'll get there. I haven't worked it out with Mitch. It's really hard with the Brewers going, the Packers going. Uh, the fact that we tape on Wednesdays um, is not great for the Bucks who don't start till Tuesday. So Mitch and I will figure something out. I haven't decided exactly what that's going to be, but we're going to make it work. So trust it, trust the process. Mitch and I are gonna get it done. Don't worry about us. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk Brewers game three. We'll see if there's any more residuals from the Packer game. Maybe if there's some more Jalen Berger news that we can talk about, we'll, we'll go over that. Who knows what else comes through the wire on Monday. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. Have a great start to your week. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on socials. All right, see you. Bye.